1910, she was born in the Ottoman Empire. Now, when I hear Ottoman Empire, I think like 1820 or 1745. But no, in 1910, she was born with the given name Agnes. And Agnes was born, like I said, in the Ottoman Empire, what is now today known as Macedonia. At the age of 12, she decided that she would devote her life to religious service after reading stories about missionaries in Bengal, India. She left home at the age of 18 to go to Ireland so that she could learn how to speak English from the nuns at a convent in Ireland. Agnes traveled from Ireland to India in 1929, and at the age of 21, she took her religious vows and chose the name Teresa, named after the patron saint of missionaries. She would spend the next 15 years teaching at the convent school near Calcutta. In 1946, she received the call from God to, to uh, open up a new congregation uh, in Calcutta and to serve God among the poorest people of that area. In 1950, she received permission from the Vatican to start that, that congregation, and it was known as the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta. Uh, this is what she said the organization would do. Check this out. It would care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society, people that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. By 1997, this uh, organization that started off with 13 people had over 4,000 sisters who managed orphanages, AIDS hospices, and charity centers worldwide, caring for the refugees, the blind, uh, the uh, disabled, the aged, alcoholics, the poor and homeless, and victims of floods, epidemics, and famine. And this is what she said. How do you know, love, and serve God? How do you prove that you love him? In the family, the father proves his love by all that he does for his children, for his wife. We prove our love for Jesus by what we do, by who we are. And you know what? This goes along with what the book of James says in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, where James wrote, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And by now, I'm sure you realize that I was talking about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, India. And when I think of the word service, when I think of someone who gave their lives in service, I think of Mother Teresa. The images of her carrying the dead, and uh, the dying and the dead, the images of her taking care of people who were uh, not only poor, but were disease-stricken, those images are, are forever burned in my memory and in my mind of what this woman who loved Jesus so much and gave herself in service to him because of her love for him and because of his love for her, I think about that kind of service is something I want to emulate. And we live in a world where, <laughs> let's face it, we like to be served. And we don't care as much about serving other people as we do about being served. In fact, we demand good service, don't we? I mean, we expect it. We demand good service. When you go out to lunch today after church, you're going to expect good service, aren't you? Tip. Ha! I don't think so. I, my drink was empty half the time I was here. My food was cold. Not your service fault, by the, by the way. Um, 
How many of you have ever done this? Uh, you've got a, your beverage, you know, you've got your Diet Pepsi. You've got your Diet Pepsi and, and, you, and you take a drink and it gets down to the bottom and there's just a little bit of ice and maybe some watered down Diet Pepsi in there and you start slurping it really loud to get the server's attention. You know, it's like... You know, you do that or you'll set it on the very edge of the table and you're thinking, there goes the tip. We expect good service. We want to be served, and we want to be served well. We want good service, and we expect it. In fact, we demand good service. Customer service. We demand good customer service. We want to be paid attention to. We want to be waited on hand and foot. We want good customer service. When we call Comcast, we expect, well, I'm kidding. But no, when we, call the, we, when we call the customer service number for Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, whatever, when you call that customer service line, you want, you expect, you demand good service. I want to be served. And, and we get upset, we get frustrated, we get angry when that person on the other end doesn't understand our problem or doesn't serve us well or when it's someone we can't understand what they're saying. How many of you have ever gotten frustrated with that? How many of you have ever said mean things to the person on the other? Don't say mean things to the other person. That is a person, that is a human being for whom Jesus died on the other end of that line. Just remember that next time. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, the next time you call, I had to call customer service this week. I was talking to Jennifer from the Philippines. I don't think Jennifer was her given name, but she said she was Jennifer from the Philippines. And so we were talking about, I don't know, it didn't sound like a very Filipino name, but that's just me. But I was talking to Jennifer from the Philippines. She's like, so, Sean, how are you today? I'm like, I am good, Jennifer. How are you doing? I'm well. We had this really good conversation while she was waiting to reset my modem, which she did from the Philippines, which is just crazy. What, are we, what kind of world are we living in? Anyway, so I'm talking to Jennifer from the Philippines, and, and just, just know that that person on the other end that you're frustrated with and that you're thinking about saying mean things to, it's like, I can't understand a thing you're saying. Just remember, that is a human being who may be having a very bad day or maybe going through really rough time or maybe working for like less than minimum wage or less than less than minimum wage. And, and that is a human being for whom Jesus died. And they deserve respect. And they deserve love because God loves them. And Jesus died for them. And you should love them too. So if I haven't made you feel guilty yet, just wait. So... The next time you're on the phone with Jennifer from, from the Philippines, tell her Sean said hi and that Jesus loves her. Let's get back to service. Today we're talking about service. We're talking about surrendering our hands in service to Jesus. Now, Jesus set us a wonderful model of what it means to serve. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, he said this, whoever wants to be great Become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. He did not come to be served. He did not expect it to be waited on hand and foot. He did not expect anyone to serve him. Instead, he came to serve other people and to serve the world and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what that means is that Jesus 
gave his life and he died on the cross for our sins, for our forgiveness. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And Jesus shed his blood for our forgiveness so that if we will believe in him and turn away from our sinful life and repent, and if we will confess our faith and get baptized, Jesus will wash away our sins. He will walk, God will wash away our sins and he will forgive our sins. And we are set free and we are free from the consequences of sin. And we have the promise of eternal life. And that is just so awesome. And Jesus did it because he loves us. Because he loves you and he loves me. And because he wanted to serve us. Because he did not come to be served, but to serve. And he set us this example of service. And so we are going to continue today in our series called Surrendered. It's a series we started last week. We talked last week about surrendering our hearts to Jesus. And we saw how we cannot, uh, the God who loves us, the God who loves us with his whole heart can't be loved with half of ours. That God wants full devotion. Jesus wants full-hearted total surrender and total devotion to him and he deserves it because he is the king of kings the lord of lords he is the god of the universe he created all of this the bible says in john chapter one that this was all created by him and through him and for him that everything in creation was created by god for him for jesus and through jesus and so when we think about who jesus is he demands, he expects, he deserves our total surrender to him. So last week we talked about surrendering our hearts to Jesus. Today we're going to talk about surrendering our hands to Jesus in service. Next week we're going to talk about surrendering our feet to Jesus and going and telling the world about who Jesus is and what he did for us in evangelism. And then the following week we're going to talk about surrendering our gifts to Jesus. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is sent from God above. And so we're going to talk about how we can surrender our gifts back to Jesus. Whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasure. And then in the month of October, we're going to start a new series on marriage called The Vow. And so if you are married, or if you've been married, or you're thinking about getting married, or if you've uh, uh, got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or if you know someone who's married, uh, if you uh, know someone who's going through a really rough time in their marriage, and I encourage you to invite them to come and check out this series that we're going to do called The Vow. It's a series from Life Church in Oklahoma. It's really good. It's going to be really interesting. And it's going to help people strengthen their marriages. And that's what we want to do. And so, like I said, if you're married or if you know someone who's getting married or if you know someone going through a rough time in their marriage, invite them to come and check out this series called The Vow. It's four weeks in October. Uh, and uh, we encourage you to invite someone to come check that out. And then in the month of November, we're going to talk about our new five-year vision, and we're going to talk about some, a new initiative we're going to start in the month of uh, January, and then we're going to go through Christmas, and then we're going to study the book of Galatians in January, February, and March, and then it's going to be Easter, and then it's going to be summer again. Winter's coming. Construction season's almost over. Yay, winter's almost here. No! Ah, yeah. But for today, we are in John chapter 13, and we're going to talk about surrendering our hands to Jesus in service. Now, in John chapter 13, I'm going to set the stage for you in just a minute, but you can grab your Bible. If you brought a Bible, great, turn to John 13, verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 763 of that Bible. Uh, or you can always use a Bible app on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, also, we'll have the words up on the screen above me in just a moment when we read through John 13, 1 through 5. So, 
Let me set the scene for you. Jesus and his disciples have entered into Jerusalem. This is the last week of Jesus' life. In fact, this is the night before he is crucified. And he and his disciples are in an upper room celebrating the Passover feast. Passover was a feast that they celebrated, the Jews celebrated every single year. They still celebrate it to this day. And they celebrate the deliverance of the people, of, of God's people, the Jews, from slavery in Egypt. Remember Charlton Heston said, let my people go and got the... You remember that? Okay. All right. Good. We're tracking. Good. Everyone's on the same page. All right. So it wasn't Charleston Heston. It was Moses. And he was not played by Charleston Heston. But anyway, um, let my people go. Um, but uh, so the Jews were delivered from Egypt and uh, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, and they celebrate the Passover every year to commemorate that deliverance. And so you've got Jesus and his disciples, who are all Jewish, they're in the upper room, in an upper room uh, of someone's house, and they're celebrating the Passover. Now, what you need to know is that it was the job of the lowest servant or the lowest slave in the house to wash everybody's feet when they came in. And this is where we pick up the story in John 13, 1 through 5. Check this out. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And what that means is that he was going to show them how much he loved the world by dying for the sins of the world on the cross in Jerusalem. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now, Judas is going to betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders of his day. And what he did, he did that by kissing Jesus. He led the Jewish leaders to where Jesus was and then he kissed Jesus as a sign that, uh, that it was Jesus and he was the one they were to arrest. And they were going to put him on trial and they were going to kill him and crucify him. But good news, by the way, Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead on the third day just as he said he would. And Jesus was raised from the dead and now he lives forever in heaven and he's coming back to take his followers to live forever with him in heaven. And I can't wait to go. Amen? But until that day, we got a job to do. We have, busy, we have to be busy about doing the work that Jesus has for us to do. Continue, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Stop right there. So, like I said, it was the job of the lowest servant or the lowest person in the house to wash the feet of guests. Now, they had a table, and around this table were several couches. And the couches were positioned in such a way that the heads of the, of the people were closest to the table, and their feet were away from them. And so, remember, they don't have, like, paved roads in Jerusalem at this time. It's all filthy, dusty, dirty roads. And so, if you're wearing sandals, or if you're going barefoot, and you're walking through the streets of Jerusalem, your feet are getting hot and sweaty, and they're absorbing dust and dirt, and your feet are just filthy. You got these filthy feeted disciples. And they're sitting around this table. Their heads are toward the table, their feet are away from it. And Jesus quietly, and again, this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe. And he gets up and he fills a basin with water. He wraps a towel around himself and he starts to wash around the outside, around the perimeter of the room. He starts washing his disciples' feet. 
Again, this was the job of the lowest servant, the lowest person in the house. It could be a servant, it could be the wife, it could be the child. It was the person who was considered lowest in the house to wash the feet of guests. And Jesus does it. None of the other disciples thought, hey, maybe I should wash the guy's feet. And they're like, no way. I ain't touching Andrew's filthy feet. Ain't no way. But Jesus washes their feet. And then he has an interaction with Peter in verses 7 through 11. We're not going to read that, 6 through 11. We're not going to read that one. I skip ahead to verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Jesus washes his disciples' feet and says, I have set you this example of foot washing. And he doesn't mean a literal foot washing where we get together and we wash each other's feet and you're like, thank goodness for that. But he sets us this example of service. That we are to emulate his attitude, his humble attitude of service to one another, to our church, to our community, to our families. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we are to be humble in service. The amazing thing about this story is what's not included here, but you will find in the Gospel of Luke. Check this out. This is happening during the same meal. It says, a dispute also arose among them, that's the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be greatest. So they're all sitting there wondering who Jesus' favorite is, and they're fighting about who Jesus' favorite is. You? Ha! I don't think so. I'm his favorite. He likes me best. I am the best disciple. I am the greatest disciple. This is what they're fighting about. Jesus is going to be crucified the very next day. And he's telling them, I am going to die. And they're like, whatever, Jesus, I'm the best. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table. Is it not the one who is at the table? But I, who was the greatest, am among you as one who serves. Jesus lived his life to serve people. And if we want to look more like Jesus, if we want to look like him, we need to look like him in the way that he served. I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about washing each other's feet literally. I'm talking about washing each other's feet figuratively and taking that position of humility and serving one another in Jesus' name. And I think it's so important that we get this down, that we understand that it's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's not about your preferences or my preferences. It's not about my demands. It's not about serving me. It's about me serving you. It's about us serving one another. It is about serving our families and serving our community and serving our church and serving each other. It, it, this, is what it's all, it's, this is what it's about, is serving one another in Jesus' name. And so I have some suggestions about uh, some ways that you can serve the people around you because this is what it boils down to is you can't surrender your hands in service if your heart is full of yourself. You can't surrender your hands in service if your heart is full of yourself. Because if your heart is full of yourself, the only one you're going to serve is yourself. 
And Jesus wants your surrendered hands in service. He wants you to open your hands and find ways to serve other people. He wants you to serve others. And there's four people, four groups of people I think that you can serve. And the first one is to serve your spouse. And you're thinking, there is no way on this green earth that I am going to serve my spouse. I work hard for the money, so hard for it, honey. Pointer Sisters, yep. No, Donna Summer. Donna Summer. No, and you may think to yourself, uh, you may think, I go, I go to work every day, or I stay at home and I work all day here at home, and either way, I'm not going to serve them. Serve my spouse. Serve my wife? Ha! I don't think so. Or serve my husband? No way. That jerk? Uh-uh. Am I being heckled? But we'll think that, right? I don't want to serve that other person. And I think the hardest person in your life to serve is probably your spouse. Because we take each other for granted. And, and, and we, we assume that, you know, they're doing fine. They don't need me to serve them. No, Jesus wants you to serve your spouse in your home. Spend time with them. Do nice things for them. Do something nice for your spouse for once. And I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to the guy on stage too. Do something nice for your spouse, Sean. It's a good thing to do. One of the lessons I learned long time ago, so long ago, is that when I'm frustrated with my spouse, when I'm frustrated and angry with my spouse, and let me tell you, it does happen, and it's not her fault, it's me. It's not her, it's me. Believe me, it's me. But when I get frustrated, when I get angry, I find that the best thing I can do is do, do something nice for her. And it reminds me that it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I demand. It's not about me being served. It's me serving her. And it puts things back in the proper perspective. So I just want to encourage you, do something nice for your spouse this week. Serve your spouse in some way this week. Or, no, and serve your children. Do something nice for your spouse. Serve your spouse and serve your children. Now, I don't mean to worship your children. I don't mean put them on a pedestal. I mean, do something nice for your children. Serve your children in such a way that it's going to set them an example of what it means to be a servant. And one of the best ways that you can teach your kids how to be a servant is to serve alongside them. Say, let's go do something for someone else. Let's go mow that, uh, the elderly people's yard three doors down. Let's go mow their yard for them as a way of serving them. Or let's go do a service project together. Let me teach you what it means to be a servant. And model that service Model that servant attitude for your children so that they grow up thinking that, not thinking that the world is all about them, so that they grow up not thinking that everything is about them and, and their demands and what they want. Because we are raising a generation of entitled children. And we got to do better. We need to teach our children what it means to serve. The third way we can serve is you can serve your community. Now, I will hand this to the teenagers. Some of the teenagers and millennials, these younger, these younger adults, they have an attitude of service. They want to do service projects. They want to serve other people. Uh, our youth group, uh, United for Christ, UFC, our youth group uh, does a once-a-month service project on the first Sunday of the month. We're going to do one here on October 1st. And they want to do that. And I think some of the older generations, we can learn from them this attitude of service. And we need to serve our community in Jesus' name. Because when we serve our community in Jesus' name, when we go out there and we do 
service in Jesus' name, it makes people stand up and take notice. It makes people go, wow, that church is really different. Maybe that's what it's supposed to look like. Because all we're known is what we're against. All we know is what we protest against and, and how we stand up for this, that, and the other thing. And, and, we don't, and we're accused of not being loving and not being serving. And we need to do better when it comes to serving our community in the name of Jesus Christ. Finally, the last one you can serve is serve your church. You can serve Jesus by serving your church. And there's different ways that you can get involved and serve, like our Baskets of Blessing ministry that Sharon's out uh, telling people about today in the lobby. Baskets of Blessing ministry. You can deliver baskets for Sharon. And it's a great ministry that really brings comfort to people when they need it. And you can go out and deliver baskets. You can help put baskets together. Our children's ministry, we need people to help out in children's ministry, whether it's through check-ins or rocking babies in nursery or teaching kids in cherubs or kids zone. You know, talk to Joel, our children's minister, about how you can get involved in our children's ministry. Kids for Christ is starting up on October 5th. That's our weekly youth group that meets on Thursday nights for kids uh, of our community and our church. And we get 50, 60 kids coming every Thursday night. And they need to hear about Jesus. And maybe you can help lead games or maybe you can help uh, teach a lesson or you can hand out snacks or whatever. We have places for you to serve in our children's ministry. Talk to Joel. Or maybe you want to serve uh, in one of our other ministries. Uh, maybe you thought, man, I can hand out communion or I can prepare communion or I can uh, hit the space bar and, and run the screen. It's, 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 it's easier than it looks, but it's harder than it looks. Um, but we'd love for you to do that. We'd love for you to get involved in some way here at GFCC in serving Jesus at our church. So talk to me, talk to Brandon about the worship ministry, talk to Joel about the children's ministry, talk to Donnie Gordon about outreach. Because the more we do for Jesus, the more ministry that we can accomplish, the more people we can reach, the more people go to heaven. And that's what, it's, that's what we're really all about, helping people follow Jesus. That's what we're going to do. So I just want to encourage you to get involved, to find some way of serving someone else, to take that attitude of humility and serve and, and, and that means you got to let go of yourself it means you got to deny yourself it means you got to take up that cross you got to follow Jesus and, and when you do that when we deny ourselves and when we start following Jesus better when we look more like him the way that we love, serve and forgive people that's when Jesus is pleased and that's what I want to do with my life is I want to I learn, learn how to please Jesus better and I hope that you do too and we're pleasing Jesus when we love, serve, and forgive people. And like I said, today's, today's message is all about serving people. Because like he said, the Son of Man did not, come to serve, but to, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve. So how can you, this week, serve someone who's close to you? Or serve someone who's far away? How can you be a servant of Jesus this week and surrender your hands in service to him? And when we do that, like I said, we're going to look a lot more like Jesus. And we're going to please our Heavenly Father.